my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're looking at the Bible. Is it relevant in the third millennium? And the big question for today, can the Bible be trusted? What does archaeology say? Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Oz. Uh, David, welcome again. Welcome, Gary. It's great to be here and also wonderful to be joining our, our listeners. It is, it's really fantastic to have you back in the studio again. I really appreciate being able to, uh, to talk to you, to bounce off you, uh, and to, and to gather your, uh, your wisdom. But David, tell us something. We're just past, uh, Australia Day. What did you do on Oz Day? Yes, I uh, shifted about 500 bricks, old bricks, doing some landscaping. Uh, Let me guess, your wife was your taskmaster. <laughs> no, she's not that bad. She's good. No, shifting bricks and uh, went for a, a ride yesterday morning, 50k ride, which was really good. And then last night attended a vegetarian barbecue with extended family. Oh, lovely. How long does it take you to do 50k's? Uh, too long. No, too long. It, uh, yeah, probably... Um, with a lot of traffic lights where I ride around the city of Adelaide, uh, I'd be averaging about 25, 26 kilometres an hour. When I'm on the open road, maybe 28, 29 kilometres an hour. Wow, wow. That's uh, that's really good. Tell me something. Have you ever done the Wollonga Hill? Now, I've heard a fair bit about this. This has gone into folklore, this Wollonga Hill. Have you ever done it? So, um, Richie Port, who came third in the Tour de France last year, it is really his hill, so to speak, a great rider. I heard you call me a coward earlier, Gary, off air, <laughs> uh, because I have not ridden the Wollonga Hill. I've avoided it, and I probably will avoid it for maybe another 12 months, but I will do it, and then I'll get you to retire. Track that statement. That's right. That's right. Your, your fitness level has to be at a very high level. I understand. Otherwise, you're left pushing your bike up the hill, and that gets very embarrassing. It's uh, it's nasty. It is nasty. Yeah, uh, David. Look, over the year end period, our world has continued to change a really big time. Now, I actually uh, discovered something that really did jump out at me, and this was about middle December, and I was I was looking at one of the publications that I read, and it was talking about a Council for Inclusive Capitalism being established by the Vatican. It says a new alliance of global business leaders was launched, it said today, but that was mid-December. This is what the article actually said. The Council for Inclusive Capitalism with the Vatican is an historic new partnership between some of the world's largest investment and business leaders and the Vatican. It was launched mid-December. It signifies the urgency of joining moral and market imperatives to reform capitalism into a powerful force for the good of humanity. Uh, under the mo- This is under the moral guidance of Pope Francis. It's inspired by the moral imperative 
of all faiths. The council invites companies of all sizes to harness the potential of the private sector to build a fairer, more inclusive and sustainable economic foundation for the world. Now, this is called the Council for Inclusive Capitalism. You can actually find the website for this particular uh, council uh, online. The council is led by a core group of global leaders known as Guardians for Inclusive Capitalism who meet annually with Pope Francis. These leaders represent more than $10.5 trillion in assets under management and companies with over $2.1 trillion of market capitalisation. They employ more than 200 million workers between them in over 163 countries. The organisational challenges of business and investment leaders of all sizes to embrace the council's guiding principles and uh, and make public commitments to act on them. These collective actions are intended to lead to systemic change. Now, you know, to me, that's huge. You know, here we have got the world's largest companies uh, meeting together at the Vatican under Pope Francis, aiming to lead systemic change. And uh, it goes on to say this uh, this particular article, speaking to the guardians, Pope Francis said, an economic system that is fair, trustworthy and capable of addressing the most profound challenges facing humanity and our planet is urgently needed. Capitalism has created enormous global prosperity, but it's also left too many people behind. We'd probably agree with that. Mm. And led to the degradation of the planet, and it's not widely trusted in society. Uh, This council will follow the warning from Pope Francis to listen to the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor and answer society's demands for a more equitable and sustainable model of growth. Now, the thing that really stood out to me from this particular announcement, and it did come from the from the Vatic, from the Vatican, uh, was the size of the companies that were actually involved in establishing the Council for Inclusive Capitalism. These are the uh, companies that the head CEOs are meeting with uh, Pope Francis annually, and it actually lists the companies who are uh, actually part of this council. We've got Mastercard, Alliance, Dupont. Um, Sharon Burrow, who is General Secretary for the International Trade Union Confederation. She's actually an Australian. Um, you've got Johnson & Johnson. Uh, you've got uh, the Secretary General for the OECD. You've got Visa, Estelle Lauder, BP, the State of California, the Bank of America. These are huge companies. And uh, to me, as I read this, I sort of thought, hey, this is this is something that is... Are quite profound in the world in which we, you know, for the the head of the probably the world's largest and most powerful religious organisation to be coming together with private companies. You know, David, what is what does this say to you as a regional denominational leader? 
We're living in a world of more rapid change and flux than ever before. So yeah, there is a there yeah. is a new paradigm, if you like. Uh, we've seen the whole Black Lives Matter. We've seen the whole social justice push. We've seen, uh, and I'm not saying these things are, are wrong in and of themselves. We've seen the uh, the whole environmental movement happening. So there are so many things pushing at the moment, and now this is another one. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. and one of the things... It's that- almost the question of, hey, where are we going? Nobody seems to have an answer for where are we going? And all of a sudden you're starting to get these informal groups starting to come together. And the interesting thing, and I think you're trying to, to, to get to this, Gary, is that here we have in this instance the leader, as you say, of the, the world's largest religious organisation uh, pulling this together. Which I find very interesting that, um, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago through the Middle Ages and that sort of thing, the church and state worked hand in hand. Yeah. And in a way, we see a, we're seeing a bit of a, a reflection or a mirroring of that beginning to happen again now, aren't we? We are. We are. That, uh, that I think, is a very important analogy that you've actually picked up there because, you know, this coming together is something that we're starting to recognize uh, more and more in our, uh, in our society. So we have a picture of a religious organization um, uh, drawing together um, company leaders, business leaders, etc., to try and create solutions for the problems of the world. Mm, mm. Uh, and, and we're not just talking spiritual problems, but linking that further to environmental, business, uh, monetary, etc., etc. Yeah, businesses are becoming more and more involved in moral issues. You know, traditionally, a, a business company was there to make a profit for its shareholders. With little thought for moral issues. Exactly. At least in the last number of decades. Exactly. But now that's changed. Yes. We've seen that further with uh, the recent American election, with um, Donald Trump being banned from th- uh, social media accounts. Mm. Uh, and some of these, we've got to remember that the, the have Facebook was brought before the the uh, US um, Senate, wasn't it, uh, to answer questions after the... 2016 election. It was. Uh, yeah. And and yet now some of these social media giants are making moral decisions yeah. uh, for other people. Exactly. So there is an increased awareness, uh, an increased desire to be seen as good moral citizens by some of these large companies. And I'm sure much of it is genuine. I'm not mm, questioning mm, that. Mm. But here we have the religious, the Catholic Church, the Pope pulling this together. Coming together with the um, uh, with the capitalize with the um, the markets of the of the world but you know that isn't the only change it's almost religion also is part of the equation because religions around the world there's a never-ending cry for more unity amongst the religions of the world absolutely so truth by its very name has to mean that there is things that are untruthful. Yes, yes. There are many various religions. Forget even the differences in Christianity, the denominations. Mm-hmm. There are many different religions. They cannot all be truthful. They exactly. cannot all have yes. the truth. Yes. Yes. Particularly when you when you look at uh, Christianity, certainly in uh, in the early uh, chapters of, of Acts, uh, certainly talks about this uh, uh, this issue. There is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved. That's of course how Peter responded to the religious leaders of the Jewish oh, nation saying. in his day. 
So we have world religions of all sorts of divergences, and now there is a, 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 an increasing um, uh, volume and speed of drawing these together as well. Okay, so you've got religions out there that are actually being drawn together, and not just Christian religions, but religions across the entire gamut. Uh, you're getting, uh, now we have got a, you know, the, the world's most central uh, religious body now is drawing together as well uh, the uh, the capital of the world. So it seems, Gary, and it's an assumption, but, a lot of these things are common amongst all religions or many religions that welfare, yeah. care yeah. for the poor, uh, greed, etc. And so some of these things are, and the environment, some of these things that are drawing people together mm. uh, may be common across all religion, but yeah. ultimately there is something that we cannot agree on yeah. with all religions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, the one thing above everything else that Christianity cannot agree, biblical Christianity cannot agree with is the issue of how is a person saved? Because you see, uh, primarily the Christian religion, and I'm talking Christianity here, I'm not talking my particular uh, brand of, of Christianity. Christianity has always taught there is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved. It's emphatic and exclusive. Not that Christianity is exclusive, but the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. Exactly. And so one of the quotes you read, Gary, uh, Pope Francis said, Listen to the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor and answer society's demands for a more equitable and sustainable model of growth. So listening to the cry of the earth and the poor, so you've got monetary, yep. listen to the cry of the earth, yep. you've got ecological. Yep. And these things, all religions possibly would say, yeah, we agree with these things. Mm. But the big issue is how are we saved? Exactly. And everything exactly. That surrounds that. But, but you know, the interesting thing, at the same time, what we're finding is many world governments are finding it increasingly difficult to effectively govern. You know, you're getting a rise of a religious power. Uh, you're getting a coming together of the, the capital, the business of the world. You're getting a coming together or a, an attempt to bring together the world religions. And yet the current world governmental structure is fine. I mean, right now. We've got America is hopelessly divided. Uh, we've got um, uh, Russia is having uh, major protests in, in Russia at the present time. Uh, we've got China and India at each other's throats on their uh, on their common border, uh, and you say, "Hey, you know, uh, these are these are challenging times that we're standing in." So the Bible gives us a picture. If we really look at prophecy, that things are getting worse and not better. Yeah. And that will continue until Jesus comes. Yes, there'll be some little uh, successes. However, things are getting worse. As um, governments fail to have the answers that are needed at this time, whether it's pandemics or whatever, yeah. here we have an entity that is stepping into the void, if you like, calling people together to come up with universal decisions or bene universal beneficial yeah, yeah. decisions. We're actually seeing our world is changing. I once said slowly and almost imperceptibly, but I've changed that now to saying our world is changing incredibly quickly and right before our eyes. And so many people are actually are talking to me and they're saying, hey, look, we can see what's taking place in this big wide world at the present time. And so these crises that are happening are 
are causing many world leaders to work more and more together to try and solve problems bigger than what exists in their own backyard. Yeah, yeah. This then leads, Gary, to some of the prophetic um, scriptures that we find, such as Revelation, that talk about coming together at the end of time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't actually realize that uh, within the scriptures, particularly when I move into Revelation, uh, Revelation 18, you know, one of the most powerful, uh, points there uh, that I, that, that really jumps out at me is, is this concept that towards the end of time, just before Jesus Christ comes, there's going to be a coming together. Um, it's, there's going to be an illicit a coming together uh, that is going to change the way the world operates very, very significantly. And, you know, I believe we're seeing that right now. We are. And look, Revelation 13 tells us at this future point in time, not yet, but future, that there will come a time where no one will be able to buy or sell yeah, unless they have certain characteristics and traits. And that is something that, you know, for many years, I know that I certainly taught this in Bible, in Bible prophecies and Bible seminars. But I often wondered how could that actually take place? You know, I don't ask that question anymore because I can see how something like that could indeed take place. And we don't know exactly how all of this will play out. We're not prophets. Yeah. But we're given snippets and insights. And I guess one little thing that stands out to me, Gary, is with the, the COVID pandemic situation. You know, there have been talks about the vaccine, etc., and that, um, uh, you know, you're going to have a vaccine passport, so to speak, that you won't be able to travel internationally yeah. unless you have the vaccine. So... There is a coming together. That actually requires international regulation. Agreement across borders is what that requires. So whether it's environmental coming together, whether it's uh, large company executives and CEOs, whether it's things such as medical things coming together, there is a coming together. And we know in Scripture that biblically there'll be a coming together. There won't be a whole diversity of religions. Yeah. There'll basically be those that choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and only him through whom we're saved and those who follow man-made ways of being saved, which is not being saved. Yeah, yeah. David, one of the things that uh, I, I just want to share with our listeners is uh, we're actually going to be, uh, um, I'm actually going to be leading a, a seminar in just a, a month or so's time here in Adelaide. It's entitled Four Angels, the End Time and the Gospel's Climax. And we're going to be looking at world religious trends. We're going to be looking at uh, what Christ said about the end times. We're going to be looking at judgment and justice making and why man can't achieve it. Uh, we're going to uh, ask, does the gospel say anything about evolutionary belief? Is the ecumenical spirit the same as biblical unity? And this is going to be, uh, I'm going to be leading that. So if you happen to be here in Adelaide and you'd like to join with us, we'll be sharing the details uh, with uh, with you in uh, in future programs. But uh, I'm really looking forward to be able to just uh, just share on on this uh, on this material. I believe there is so much that's happening in our world right now that is changing uh, the way in which. Uh, people are going to be doing business. And Gary, this would be a great opportunity for those who are in Adelaide or in South Australia to come along and meet you in person. Oh, I'd uh, love to. This yep. will be relevant because it'll be hitting pretty hard hitting. Oh, it is. It is. It's it's one of those subjects that uh, we have to uh, we have to look at 
trends you know i'm not going i'm not so much interested in in just isolated events i'm far more interested in what are the world religious trends because increasingly i am conscious that the world uh, has a there are trend lines being drawn that many people aren't picking up on and uh, and that's what i believe uh, as biblical students we need to be aware of so this is where we're sitting currently but also looking forward so so relevant yes 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 very much so look let's come to some uh, music this is jeff bullock oh lord uh, your tenderness oh lord
That's Jeff Bullock and uh, oh Lord, your tenderness and such love, uh, love uh, Jeff Bullock, uh, a wonderful composer and beautiful musician. Uh, we've got a free gift for you today and our free gift for you today is uh, your own uh, gift Bible. Now this is a beautiful uh, little little Bible. It comes complete with Pastor Mark Finley has uh, developed some Bible help. So there's a lot of Bible studies in the uh, in the back of this uh, this particular Bible. It'll help you work through so many biblical subjects, things you may have been uncertain about, uh, you will be able uh, to pick up these studies and use them as a guide uh, to the scriptures. I believe you'll really love. This is a free gift Bible with the Mark uh, Finley Helps uh, in the back of that Bible. If you would like a free gift Bible, then uh, please uh, text your name, your address and your phone number. Just text it uh, to 0488 double eight oh eight eleven that's oh four double eight double eight oh Eight eleven. Now that's a brand new number. Uh, that's the number that dr- all drive time shows are using exactly the same number now. Uh, 0488 811. And we will send you this, this really beautiful little Bible with the, uh, uh, Mark Finley helps. That's your, your name, uh, your address so we can send it to you, uh, and your, and your telephone number. Uh, also, if you'd like to make a comment or you've got a thought or a question about anything that we, uh, we have said on the program, please feel free to share that with us. Uh, we'd love to be able to share uh, your thoughts. Uh, on air. If you've got some questions, we'd like to be able to answer those questions uh, on on air. So please feel free. That's to that to that same number. Uh, you can ask those questions. O four double eight double eight o. Eight eleven. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh Day Adventist Church here in South Australia. And this week we're looking at is the Bible relevant in the third millennium? And the big question for today: Can the Bible be trusted? What does Archaeology say. Before we go there, though, uh, David, I'd love to just get your get, get your feedback on uh, uh, on one particular issue because one of the things that's coming across my desk uh, continually as a pastor is that we're actually living in a time of biblical illiteracy. Increasingly, I'm reading articles where uh, very uh, learned people are saying we are struggling with uh, with people's understanding, with the literacy level, even of uh, committed church-going individuals. Um, in uh, there was one one particular article that I uh, that, that I picked up. Uh, this was from Biola University. Biola is the Baptist university uh, that really uh, digs into a lot of. Uh, um, Defending the Christian, defending Christianity subjects, and uh, this is what they said: uh, Christians used to memorize and meditate on the Bible. We don't do that anymore, and in a sense, we're starving ourselves to death. I look at the problem and how we got there, and what needs to change. And then it 
tells this story, Stacey Irvine, ate almost nothing but chicken nuggets for 15 years. She never tasted fruits or vegetables. She occasionally supplemented her diet with French fries. Uh, One day, her tongue started to swell and she couldn't catch her breath. She was rushed to hospital. Her airway was forced open and they stuck an IV into her arm to start pumping in the nutrients that she needed. After saving her life, the medical staff sent her home, but not before they warned her that she needed to change her diet or prepare herself for an early death. I've heard people call it a famine, a famine of not knowing the Bible. During a famine, people waste away for lack of sustenance. Some people die. Those who remain need nourishment. They need to be revived. And if they have any hope of remaining alive over time, their life situation has to change in conspicuous ways. You know, this uh, uh, this article goes on to explain that just as there are physical famines, so in the day and age in which we are living, it suggests that we are actually having a major spiritual famine uh, because of an, uh, an illiteracy of scriptural understanding. Now, David, before we go to today's subject, and I know that I'm using up more time than what I, what I should, but I'm really interested, you know, uh, would you agree with that? You know, are we facing a crisis of biblical illiteracy today? Absolutely. People are more... That's in- very definite. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, we have more things seeking to crowd out our, our time to draw us away. Uh, people don't like to read anymore. In fact, um, uh, our neighbours shared with us, uh, my daughter started uh, high school today, and our neighbour shared with us their son is starting high school, and he's going to a very good school, um, but it's a school where there are no books. It's all online and no writing. It's all being typed. So we are um, people aren't interested in reading. What they want to do is watch. Yeah. What they want to do yeah. is play. What they want to do is interact. And so reading is boring. The Bible's boring. It's a book of old fables. This is what many people think. It's irrelevant. It's become an entertainment culture, hasn't it? Exactly. So for a timeless, a book that's claimed to be timeless, which I believe it is, uh, how does that, how does that measure up and how does it compete with the highly stimulating visual of, of entertainment today? Yeah. So yeah. people have been drawn away from the Bible. The other thing there, Gary, is that, um, this is what's truth for me. And, and that, that is really a, a major issue. You know, one of the things that I suppose I'm so conscious of as a pastor, in fact, for me, it's somewhat frustrating when I am actually wanting to teach the Bible. One of the things that I, I used to be able to say is, oh, you remember the story about, and I remember on one occasion, I, I was actually talking, uh, to a, to a young man about, about prophecy. He had actually been to a religious school, uh, all his life. So I assumed that he knew who Dan Daniel uh, would actually be. And after I had looked at uh, Daniel, the prophet, and some of Daniel's prophecies three or four weeks, he said to me, he said, hey, uh, by the way, Pastor Gary, he said, who is Daniel? And uh, and I, I said, oh, well, you remember Daniel. He's the one. You remember Daniel in the lion's den? And, uh, and of course, he, he looked at me and he said, no, I've never heard that story. Tell me about it. Mm. And all of a sudden, I realized that, hey, I'm trying to um, talk to a young man about biblical prophecy, one of the deeper things, when actually he didn't realize that there was uh, there were stories in the scriptures that talked about how the God of heaven actually rescued people and rescued um, this man, Daniel, 
from a lion's den. I mean, that's a that's a base level children's story that, that most people would know or should know. Exactly. And uh, you know, David, this is this is something that I think is hugely challenging to the to the world in which we're we're going to come back in a moment to you know how can we actually deal with this particular issue. But look, I'm really conscious before we go there, we've got to go to today's subject, and it's this: um, can the Bible be trusted? We've been talking about the Bible the last couple of days, but what does archaeology actually say? Because you know, I I really appreciate uh, what what we can find in the uh, in the earth that actually backs up what is in the scriptures help us out so gary we will just look at a few of the the various archaeological findings and things that have been discovered which actually help support and back up uh, biblical credibility and the historic historicity of the bible that it can be trusted uh, some of them uh, that i want to share with you and there might be a few and there are obviously hundreds of things that can be shared archaeology i guess is the study of ancient things uh, and ancient findings, etc., and it's in the secular world as well as in the biblical world. And for a country the size of Israel, uh, you know, a couple of hundred kilometres long, there are so many archaeological discoveries that have been that have been unearthed and are continuing to be unearthed. Just some of the ones I want to share with you, Gary. Um, some of the uh, in the world of the Old Testament. Some of the oppressors of God's people of Israel were the nation of and the kingdom of Assyria. Mm. And um, archaeology has uncovered clay tablets. I guess we would say today USBs or hard drives. Uh, archaeology has uncovered clay tablets of some of these Assyrian kings. And some of these Assyrian kings uh, mention biblical places, uh, God's people, mm-hmm. uh, biblical kings, etc., mm-hmm. which confirm the story of Scripture. Um, Shel Manasseh III, on a monolith that was um, discovered, something that was dug up, uh, has mentioned uh, King Ahab. Uh, King Ahab is is obviously one of the uh, great kings of the Old Testament, not great as in good, but he built the city of uh, helped build the city of Samaria. Mm-hmm. Um, he was. Probably the most evil king, but he was prominent. He was not a nice fellow, but, you know, most of these are tablets. You know, one of the things I love doing is wandering around the British Museum because a lot of these tablets are actually located. Uh, in fact, there's, I've, I've actually got a book at home, um, uh, Evidence for the Bible from the British Museum, and it's actually published by the British Museum. And, and a lot of this, uh, these discoveries in a real scientific way and archaeological digs began to take place when the British were in these regions. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. that's one reason why a lot of things are in the British Museum. Yeah. Uh, another one, uh, there was a black obelisk discovered uh, of Shalmaneser III that mentions one of the uh, kings in the Bible, King Jehu. Uh, who was bringing tribute to Shalmaneser, uh, and that was dated back to 841 BC, which matches the dating of the biblical kings. And that's actually very important, isn't it? Because if, in fact, uh, archaeology and history can back up uh, the evidence that is actually within the scriptures themselves, uh, what you find is a meshing together. Uh, you know, this isn't something that's actually been invented, but rather this is something that can be established uh, from uh, archaeological digs. And what we need to remember is uh, the scoffers and the skeptics of scripture. Yeah. 
uh, are being silenced. It's taking time, but are being silenced as more and more things are uncovered. Yeah, and you know, David, that's so true. What you're actually saying, because I just think of um, uh, in the book of um, uh, in the book of Daniel, the last king is listed as a man called Belshazzar. Mm. And uh, this uh, this particular king, uh, there was a major problem that certainly Christians had for years and years and years because we knew um, who the last king of, and it wasn't Bel- was of Babylon, and it wasn't Belshazzar, and that was a that was a major uh, a major problem uh, until archaeology. Uh, bore something it discovered something they discovered that the uh, that the uh, final king of Babylon was actually um, a co-regency it was actually the father Nabopolassar and Belshazzar the son were actually listed as co-regents Belshazzar on the day of Babylon's destruction, Belshazzar was actually in the one in Babylon. He was the one who offered Daniel third rulership in the kingdom. Now, why did he offer him third rulership in the kingdom? Really good point, because he and his father, Napapalassar, were the two before him. Indeed. And I think Napapalassar was in ruling from Timar or in Timar. He, at the he time. was. He was away, I think, on a battle or something at that particular point in time. So, but these two kings, I mean, the son was actually in Babylon partying. And so uh, skeptics have ridiculed the Bible, saying Belshazzar was not the ruler. Yeah. But we know that archaeology has helped confirm the fact of this co-regent, this co-ruling yeah. king. And that's something that can't be made up. I mean, we, you know, if, if we were to imagine that you know we were able to establish these types of facts hundreds of years after the event without modern records, it would be impossible. But do you know, Daniel was just so accurate on that subject, and uh, to me, I, I look at that subject of the um, the third rulership in the kingdom. That was a powerful statement. And many Christians today suggest the book of Daniel was written uh, in 100, 200 BC, the late 100s. And yet a writer in the late 100s BC could not have known the information that Daniel knew that is written unless they lived in the... 600s. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah, no, no. And that's something, in fact, a lot of people don't actually realize that, uh, there is actually, I'm wondering at our time here, we're going to actually, actually run out of our time. But, you know, history does back up with what you're saying because there's actually a, um, a Jewish historian called Josephus. And, uh, he's the one who actually quotes, uh, something that occurred, uh, from the, from the book of Daniel. And, you know, when, uh, um, I don't have time to tell you the whole story here, but this is the uh, this is just so powerful when you read from Josephus um, what is also written in the scriptures in the book of yeah. Daniel. It's powerful, it's incredible. Yeah, Gary, I want to take you back to the British Museum. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I had uh, probably all of two hours there, which was uh, probably about three weeks, not enough. Yeah, and um, probably one of the most incredible things to see there from a Christian perspective in archaeology is the Cyrus Cylinder. Yes. Yes. And I didn't get too close to it, sad to say. This is a, a clay tablet, tablet in the shape of a cylinder. Yep. It's not much bigger than an A4 page. Mm. And there were crowds around it. I saw it from a distance. I wanted to get really close up. But this was um, recording uh, the times of King Cyrus again. 
uh, in uh, in the ancient biblical times of the Old Testament. Uh, this was discovered. This cylinder was discovered in 1879 in the ruins of Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we know that from the Old Testament that God's people, Israel, uh, from uh, from Jerusalem, His people were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, taken to taken to Babylon, uh, where they would be there in captivity for seventy years. Mm. We know from Daniel chapter five that you've just talked about the Babylonian kingdom was overthrown when ba- uh, Belshazzar was the right handwriting on the wall. The Medo Persians came in. Cyrus was the 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 one instigating this. And uh, this tablet details some of the things that Cyrus did as a ruler. In fact, the tablet tells us that Cyrus sent back to their places, quoting here, uh, the people whose shrines had earlier become dilapidated, the gods who lived therein and made permanent sanctuaries for them. I collected together all of their peoples and returned them to their settlements. I returned them unharmed to their cells in the sanctuaries that make them happy. May all the gods that I return to their sanctuaries every day be for Bel and Nabu, ask for a long life for me and mention my deeds. Now, this inscription of, of Cyrus sending captured peoples back to their homeland was behooved by people. Mm. Why would a king send people back to their homeland if he's captured them? But this is exactly what the Bible account tells us in Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 and in Exodus sorry in Ezra chapter 1 verse 7 mm. it tells us that God's people were allowed to return because of Cyrus. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is incredibly powerful. Once again what we find is the, the ancient rocks are actually backing up uh, what is in uh, the word of God. You know one of the things I really appreciate David was uh, Again, the scriptures talk about King Hezekiah's tunnel. Yes. I love King Hezekiah because when I was in Jerusalem, I actually got a chance to walk through it. And uh, this this is wonderful. People don't realize that you can actually walk through. King Hezekiah's tunnel actually brings water into Jerusalem. Uh, I'm a fairly tall person, so I have to walk through stooped over. And it goes for a kilometer and a half, and you actually have to walk in water. And I was walking in water uh, up to uh, about uh, halfway between my knees and my in my waist, just wading through uh, this limestone tunnel. This is king. It's referred to in the Bible. And guess what? It's there. And uh, it's the archaeological evidence is amazing. And it's referred to in Second Chronicles chapter 32, verses 2 to 4, and also in verse 30. And in that, Hezekiah says, it says here about Hezekiah, he says, why is he, they're being besieged by the, uh, by the Assyrians. And he says here, why should the kings, this is what the Bible says, why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? They said it was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 20, it summarizes Hezekiah's life, Gary, and it says this, As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Yeah, yeah, and it was in 1838 that this aqueduct was discovered. Yeah, and and this is one of the few things in Jerusalem that we know uh, is actually can actually be dated back uh, to the time when uh, when Hezekiah. There are many uh, churches in in um, 
uh, in Jerusalem that are based on, uh, on, on events in the Bible, but we assume that this is the sort of area that, uh, but King Hezekiah's tunnel, we know that this is the actual tunnel that was built by him in his era. And so Edward Robinson discovered this tunnel in 1838, but it wasn't until 1880 that some young people discovered some inscription in the tunnel. Yep. yep. And this inscription dates back to the 8th century, the actual time of Hezekiah. And the inscription... BC. BC, thank you. And this inscription records how men were digging from both ends and how they yes. met together. Yes. A bit like I imagine today some of the tunnels are dug by these great big machines. And it actually describes in the inscription of how they went about that process and how they broke through. Yeah. Incredible. Amazing. Amazing. You know, uh, to me what we've got here, and David, we do have to move on. I, I do want to come to some music. But, you know, David, the thing that really excites me is the way that both history and, you know, if we could go into history, to me the stories from history are even uh, more exciting than even the archaeological diggings. You know, people are uh, turn around and they, they say to me, hard, you know, uh, the Bible is a book of fables. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. The book of uh, the scriptures are uh, such a powerfully relevant today because they can be established in a, uh, on, in a factual manner from the past. Archaeology, Bible history. prophecy, history. It just goes on and on. Just the accuracy keep, of the manuscripts. It just keeps on happening. David, look, let's come to some, some music. Uh, let's come to a, a Michael Card. Uh, this is El Shaddai. El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechim Kana Adonai We will praise and lift you high El Shaddai Through your love and through the ram You saved the son of Abraham And by the power of your hand Turned the sea into dry land To the outcast on her knees You set your children free El Shaddai, El Shaddai El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same you 
the time of Christ was near Though the people failed to see What Messiah ought to be Though your word contained the plan They just could not understand That your most awesome work was done Through the frailty of your son El Shaddai, El Shaddai El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same By the power Powerful God we actually serve. It, that uh, that song is a real worship song, love, uh, that uh, Michael Card and uh, and El Shaddai. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. And this week we're looking, is the Bible uh, relevant in the third millennium? And uh, the big question for today, can the Bible be trusted? What does archaeology say? But before we go to today's question, just one uh, just remind you that we do have a free gift Bible, and thank you so much. We've had uh, three or four um, people uh, uh, write in requesting our, our free gift for today, and that is on its way to you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, for sending in your uh, uh, your name, your address, your message, and uh, we we will certainly uh, honour that. If you would like a free gift Bible with the Mark Finley uh, helps at the at the back of that Bible to really build your biblical knowledge, your biblical understanding uh, please uh, text your your name your address and your telephone number to 0488 880811 that's 0488 880811 uh, okay let's come back to uh, uh, to what we were talking about David I just want to jump back to what we were talking about at the very beginning because I'm conscious that uh, uh, that our time is starting to run away from it you know how do you know the Bible has been given to us by by God? We looked at that that yesterday. It is certainly backed up historically and archaeologically uh, with with incredible evidence. But look, how do I become? Biblically literate. I mean, we're living in a society today which is really entertainment based. And I mean, the Bible can be, I mean, in the eyes of most people, can be hard work. Um, how do I become biblically literate? Thank you, Gary. Great question. Important question. Firstly, I want to suggest we need to cut out the noise. 
okay. the noise of media, the noise of everything trying to pull us, uh, our, you know, everything that connects us, try and disconnect some of it. It's a challenge, and I find it a challenge. So be still. Be still. Try and find a regular place where you can spend some time with God. Maybe it might be walking uh, along the beach, listening to the Word of God. What's through. your regular place? So my regular place actually is at my kitchen table early in the morning or okay. late at night. Yeah. Yeah, um, often yeah. I'm reading it on my phone. Okay. But, uh, and I actually am one for reading off my computer where I can underline and mark particular software I've got. Mm-hmm. I can write notes. They all go chronologically. Yeah. So finding a place, having a regular time. I also think it's important to be dedicated to the task, to know that the world doesn't have the answers. And this book has stood the test of time. It's not just another book. Um, I believe that it is not to try and get through the Bible in a year or six months or to read X number of chapters a day to read a small portion of Scripture. But we need to remember that the same author of Scripture is is alive, and we need to seek his presence to understand. This is a supernatural book. What is the meaning for me? So as I go to read a passage, I want to ask God's blessing to give me understanding and also God, what do you want me to know today? What do you want, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Um, parts of the Bible can be hard to read. So I'd start with some of the books like Mark or, or, or John or Luke, the Gospels, mm-hmm. and then read some of the stories. And, yeah. and really what I try and do is to picture the scene, to picture myself in that story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is why you don't need to rush. You ponder, reflect, picture yourself in it. Um, Make you one of the subjects. Yeah. If Jesus yeah. is talking to the woman, uh, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. I put myself in that story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then what is the application? What's God trying to tell me that I can change in my life? Yeah. A- yeah. And so personal study and personal reading and journaling, taking notes, and that's one yeah. of the things I That's do. one of the things that for me actually really – I've done this a number of times. I'm not doing it at the present time, but uh, I actually uh, have taken, taken the Bible, numerous books of the Bible, and I've said I'm going to actually rewrite them. And what I've found is just getting myself a textbook and I'll sit down and I'll have uh, two-thirds of the page for the text and I'll have a third of the page uh, for my notes. And uh, what I find is that when I say, hey, I'm going to rewrite, and I found personally that the Gospel of Luke uh, followed by Acts, who is the same author, Mm. um, is excellent to do this with because what it does is it actually slows me down because my mind runs so quickly. I'm living in a world that is so fast-paced that I struggle to be able to, uh, to, to, to take it all in. But you know, when I rewrite the Word of God by hand, I'm not talking about retyping it. No. I'm talking about in handwriting. It actually slows me down. And that's true. That's critical. And I think the other thing is the slowing down. What does God want f- from me with this? So often yeah. you might write yeah. down what you think God is saying to you. Another thing is to commit scripture to memory. Yeah. Yeah. You know, memorize yeah. something. We're living in a world where we don't even. I used to know twenty or thirty phone numbers when I was in business. Yeah. Then the mobile phone came in, and I just and hit you don't the know any of them. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, Gary, one of the times that I've found most beneficial for me is being involved in a small reading group of people reading the Bible. It yeah. took a year and a half for us to get through the Book of Mark, and I was blessed by the input of other people. I was enriched by it, and I want to encourage our listeners, Gary, if they want to be part of a Bible reading group, we have them in so many locations across Australia. If they want to be part of a Bible reading group, text us and text on that number on this number. 0488 880 811. 
0488-880-811 and text Bible Reading Group and we'll be able to put you in touch with a group near you who is reading the scripture and yeah, you will be enriched. Yeah, yeah. David, we do have to finish. Let's just pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you. We want to say thank you for the word of God. Lord, thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for all that is in it. Uh, Lord, I pray that that same spirit that inspired that book might touch each of our listeners today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time, Big Q&A. Uh, please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Helen Gray ask, can the Bible be trusted? Or what did Jesus say? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.